0: Uh, Getting back to uh, public opinion. Good, bad, how it affects us. Uh, And I don't know if you noticed, we'll we'll come back to it. Hopefully you'll see, uh, we'll get to it in the passage. But before we get to the passage, children, I want a little bit of help from you. Forget Christmas jumpers. And I have to say, I am liking Ian's t-shirt. Forget Christmas jumpers. Why can't Neil wear his very trendy pyjamas to church? What do you think? Why can't Neil wear pyjamas to church? You don't wear pyjamas. I knew. Well, no, children. What do you think your parents would say? What would, you think, what would your parents say? You'd like, lo- exactly. Now, my mum wasn't well enough to come, but if my mum was here and she was supposed to be coming, would I get it in the ear over Christmas lunch to wearing my pyjamas to church? But... There's no rules that say you shouldn't wear it. It's just you look a bit crazy while you're doing it. So we tend not to wear your pyjamas to church. Um, I was wondering, also myself, it would increase your washing. Because you'd have to wash your pyjamas more often if you wore them out of bed as well as at home. But you look crazy. Public opinion says no, you don't wear pyjamas to church. So we tend not to. Public opinion has chosen the Barbie movie doll this Christmas, if you've got 50 quid. The Barbie movie doll is the best-selling toy, as Google tells me, uh, of 2023 this Christmas. Now, children, um, bear with me a second. This is probably just me getting something off my chest here. But public has opinion has gone against statins. Now, children, if you've got a risk of a heart attack... <laughs> Statins help to reduce that risk. But when my patients come to see me, they tell me because my next door neighbor took statins and his dog got arthritis, they won't take my statin tablets. Where am I going with all this? That's not funny. You would not believe why people tell me they won't take statins. When there is uncertainty about what to do, we often end up following public opinion. Now, before we see what our passage has to say about that, uh, let's just remind ourselves uh, where we're up to in Luke, and Ken really helpfully uh, gave us a bit of a reminder. Uh, Do you remember a few weeks ago, we were back in, we're in chapter 1 of Luke, and at 3 and 4... We're reminded that Luke is written so that Christians can be certain about things. Particularly as we read through, Luke is an amazing love story. We can be certain of God's love. If you just cast your eyes back, it's probably on the page before in most of the church Bibles, but just look at verses 3 and 4. Luke wrote his fully investigated account so that we can be certain. Now, I was just saying at the beginning of the church, I feel very Christmassy, because I watched, watched The Miracle on 30, 53rd Street last night, and it does make you feel all very Christmassy. 34. Thank you very much, Ian. No. Which one? 34th Street. 34th Street. I was obviously paying attention to the title. And that does make you feel Christmassy. But aren't we sometimes in danger of treating the Bible in the same way? Some sort of mythical fairy story that makes us feel happy? This is a carefully investigated account so that we can be certain of things that are true. Luke is not all sparkle and no substance. Luke wrote this so that you could realise that nothing could be further than the truth. This is written so that we can be certain this Christmas. I'm sorry, I've got lots of questions for you this morning. Who finds it easy to be patient? Children who's, oh, well done, Grayson. I'm very impressed. Generally speaking, I didn't find it very easy to be patient. Yeah, I know, and I, I'm the same. Don't like waiting for things. But a couple of weeks ago, Andrew was taking us through chapter one, verses one to 25. And he reminds us that even though God often seems very slow to act, his timing is often so different from ours. That passage reminds us that we can be certain that God's promises are always perfect and they are always loving. And last week Andrew <coughs> reminded us that we live in a topsy turvy world, don't we? When you look around, don't they self centered and the proud seem sorry, yeah, proud seem so powerful? It almost it's like they're at the top of the ladder in the world. And the humble seems so weak and unappealing. It's almost like in the world they're at the bottom of the ladder. And last week Mark Hughes, verses 26 to 56 to remind us that we can be certain that God is going to turn that ladder upside down. God will restore those who humbly serve him, judge the proud who reject him. when there is uncertainty about what to do. So often we just follow public opinion. And in, in our verses today, uh, it was lovely to see Ken be so excited as he read them. The excitement is that there is certainty in those verses. Now that's a really bold claim that whatever we are facing as Christians, in all the uncertainties of life, we have good news that we can be certain about God's restoration, whatever public opinion says. Now we're going to see why that's the case. And we're, we're in chapter one, and we're, we're at 57 to 66. And my first sort of signpost is that God shows us true, miraculous restoration. Verses 57 to 66, God shows us true, miraculous restoration. nearly forgot my plot. This is an easy one, kids. What is this? Carrot. Carrot, thank you. That was the easy question. Now, harder question. Do carrots restore your eyesight? No. Nicely done. Popular opinion taken by Google. Sorry, okay, Google says. Maybe a bit of a stretch to say popular opinion. Google says, and I quote, it is true carrots help you see better. Now, carrots are very healthy. It's really bad if you don't eat lots of vegetables and things like carrots. But we all know that if you feed carrots to a blind person, they don't suddenly get 20-20 vision. (coughs) Interestingly, Google tells me that um, it's a uh, propaganda thing that started in World War II, put out by the Air Force. But you can see how popular opinion can so easily affect what we do. So come back with me um, to our passage, and let's just see what Luke has to say about it. Now you may remember, as Ken reminded us, particularly if you were here a few weeks ago, that Ze- I don't know why I'm holding the camera <laughs> that uh, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, at this point in history, were old-age pensioners. They had suffered the agonizing pain of infertility all throughout their marriage, but God had miraculously spoken through the angel Gabriel and promised them a miraculous son. And the angel had promised not only a son, but he promised that he would be called John and that John would prepare people for Jesus' coming. Now, in your Bibles, if you jump on to verse 58, Here we get to what I've been going on about. Here's the voice of public opinion. The neighbours and the relatives know that Zechariah can't speak. And the custom at the time was that Zechariah would name his baby. Shock, horror, that the christening is going to be ruined. So they came up with a plan. Verse 59, popular opinion steps in, ignores God's promises, and says that this new baby is going to be called Zechariah. Verse 16, Popular opinion not put off by Elizabeth, telling them no, we're going to call him John. Popular opinion moves to his dad, Zechariah. And verse 63, popular opinion is astonished that Zechariah, dad's first words after nine months, are his name is John. God's promise miraculously comes true. Luke shows us the certainty of God through his miraculous ways. And verse 7 is an astonishing verse. Look with me at verse 57. Elizabeth was an infertile childless pensioner. The NHS was powerless to help her. Zechariah, if you remember, had pretty much called the angel Gabriel a liar. But suddenly, look at that amazing restoration. Zechariah defies public opinion, trusts God's promise, and calls the new baby, John. And bear with me, listen really carefully. There's even more here. Remember, Luke has carefully investigated. He's a skilled writer. There's another miraculous restoration here. Zechariah, at this point, represents God's people. Uh, if you've spent any time looking at the Bible, you'll know that Adam in the Garden of Eden represented God's people ignoring God, even while God carried on loving Adam and Eve. Uh, the serpents then represented popular opinion. He tells them to eat the fruit. Eve, Adam's wife, ignores God, listens to popular opinion, takes the fruit to Adam, And despite God's loving words, they ate the fruit. Brokenness enters and destroys God's loving world. And as you see how Zechariah represents Adam, he pretty much called God a liar, lost his voice. But God miraculously restores both Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth rejects public opinion and trusts God's promise Zechariah is restored to trust God's loving word, and so verse sixty-seven, God's spirit fills him. God starts speaking through Zechariah, giving us God's explanation of what's happening here. Verse seventy-seven. With God's help, John tells us that he's going to. That, sorry, Zechariah tells us that John is going to give people the knowledge. Of salvation. Do you see? God shows us true, miraculous restoration. And if you think about it, that is a really bold claim because we know, we experience how broken the world is. Every one of us face impossible uncertainties in this broken world. But God's word His promises can deliver the impossible. God shows us true, miraculous restoration. So friends, what does that mean to us now? Surely popular opinion says you need a lie-in on Sunday morning. Uh, You need to look after yourself, get yourself together so that you can prepare for the coming week. But God promises... That you need God and God's family on Sunday morning. And God's church is what will prepare you for the coming week. Popular opinion says, get yourself straight. Then share out what is left for others. But God promises that it is better to give than to receive. And if you think about it, we're not very good at getting ourselves straight. That is something that we miraculously receive from a loving God. We've seen God shows us true, miraculous restoration. Uh, Maybe I could buy that. But then I start to think, but could that really apply to me? Isn't that only for God's favourites, the holy people over there that look so good on the outside? Verses 67 to 75. God goes on to talk about that. God's loving restoration offer is for anyone. My title, my signpost verse, 67 to 75, it's God's restoration has a five-star review. Verses 67 to 75, God's restoration has a five-star review. Oh, more of Neil's props? Okay, this is a harder one, children. What's this? A picture of? Pen. Pen, Pen, yes. It's a particularly pink pen that says Bic for her. (laughs) Yes, I I, I think laughter, you can probably see where this is going. And let me tell you on Amazon, that got a one-star review. It turns out that women aren't going to pay lots of money for a thin, funny-looking pen, which is for her. In contrast, Zechariah in these verses Gives God a five star review. <coughs> Jesus really is God's perfect Christmas present for you. Jesus is God's love in person. Come to you at this Christmas time. Jesus' restoration is designed by our Creator for anyone. Now look down with me at verse 68. If you think about it, this is another bit of an odd verse. God, uh, and both Ken and I, have tried to lead up to how miraculous it is that Zechariah has got this new baby called John. But in these verses, Zechariah can't stop talking about Jesus. 68, the Lord has come to his people. That Lord is Jesus. Remember, Jesus is God's love, come in person. But as you look through these verses, you see why. Time and time again, God's people reject God's love. In time, that means they become enslaved. And God steps in and redeems them. God lovingly pays the ransom price to free them from slavery. So, in verse 68... Zechariah says that restoration is happening again. The Lord has come to his people and redeemed them. Time and time again, God's people reject God's love. In time, that means they become attacked by powerful forces. Again, God steps in. God lovingly raised up strong kings to save them from their enemies. And in verse 69, Zechariah is saying, that restoration is happening again. Verse 69, God raises up a horn. That horn represents power. A powerful king from David's family will be raised up to save them from their enemies. Friends, time and time again, God's people reject God's love. And in time, they become bullied to live under harsh conditions, God lovingly steps in and rescues them to live holy and righteous lives. So in 74, Zechariah says that restoration is happening again. Verse 74, God rescues his people from their enemies so they are free to serve in holiness and righteousness. Now again, Luke is a really skilled writer. Listen carefully, let's just go a little deeper. Luke is showing us again another restoration here. Verse 68, God redeems them. Verse 69, God saves them. Verse 74, God rescues them. The the original readers, as soon as they heard that, are gonna be thinking of the Exodus from chapters two and three. This restoration language is straight out of the, the Exodus two and three. And the history books gave the Exodus a five-star review. God's restoration has a perfect character reference. So, when God sends Jesus, which we remember at Christmas, remember that first Christmas when God sent Jesus to restore us, Jesus is the perfect Christmas present you want. Because God's restoration has a five-star review. If we just stop and think for a second, many of us recognize our anger, apathy and hostility. We know that leads to fear, self-doubt, suffering, isolation and pain. But we are so tempted to bury that shame and guilt that it leads to. Which leads us to building up barriers to exclude ourselves from this amazing restoration that God offers to anyone. The history books give Jesus a five-star review. Look again at verse 68. Jesus restores guilt and shame to certain joy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Ken felt, it was almost infectious as you hear the joy in Zechariah. And history does give humanity a one-star review for creating lasting joy. This Christmas, wouldn't it be a great idea to spend time rejoicing in God's promises each day? Allow God to use that to help break down the barriers that we put between us and Jesus' love. Allow Jesus to fill us with his certain unshakable joy. So 57 to 66, God shows us true, miraculous restoration Verses 67 to 75, God's restoration has a five star review. But then as I was preparing, I was thinking, but Jesus has come and gone. And as we look around in the world, surely nothing much seems to have changed. And that's what Zechariah goes on to explain in verses 76 to 80. Accept Jesus is God's Christmas restoration. 76 to 80, except Jesus is God's Christmas restoration. Children, I promise you this is my last prop. Any ideas where I might poke this and what it does? Is it? Absolutely. Th- thermometer. Th- thermometer for body temperature. Kids, uh, no, you're doing really well. Do you know what body temperature is? Yeah, normal. What's normal temperature? Oh, uh, Good point. What's the normal temperature? The temperature. Which is? 37. Danny, thank you so much. Now, if you sorry, if your normal temperature is 37 and you won't let dad poke that thing inside your ear when you're not feeling well, what could happen? Get too high. Go too high and your parents don't know it's got too high and they don't realize that you need help and you could get ill. Bear that in mind. Verse 76, Zechariah moves on to Jesus and remembers his new baby isn't Jesus, but is John. Verse 76, and you, my child, that's John, will go before Jesus and John will prepare us for Jesus. Verse 77 is what has to happen for us to experience this restoration that we've been talking about. It isn't just that Jesus came and the world will be saved. Something's got to happen to prepare us for it. Verse 77, we have to accept the knowledge of what saves us. We have to accept that we need God to forgive our sins. 78, we need to accept God's tender mercy. Just like sometimes if you're feeling ill, you need to accept dad poking that funny thing in your ear to find out if you're not well so that that your parents can help get you better. We need to know that we need God to forgive our sins. Then we can experience the joy of God's tender mercy. Whatever public opinion says, God's word helps us to accept the truth. I, we, have a problem. The problem is that we, like Zechariah at the beginning of the story, ignore God's word. And the Bible calls that sin. Children, I'm hoping you're going to help me. If, if you've got your word sheet on the back page, do you remember we sometimes um, uh, use something just to remind us, and you can help me remind the adults about what it what we mean when we say sin. Can you see it's written there? Can you say it with me? S-I-N. S is shove off God. Thank you. I is I'm in charge. N is no to your rules. Shove off God. I'm in charge. No to your rules. And sin has broken God's world. 79, do you see, it describes it as living in darkness, or it goes on, it's almost like death is clinging to us like a shadow, powerful words describing, verse 79, what our world is like. Children, I know this is very poor, but Jesus is like a thermometer that helps us accept that we are ill. The Bible, much better than my ear thermometer, helps us to accept that we need God's forgiveness. Public opinion may say, bury bury our sin, there's no need for forgiveness. We can make ourselves too busy by pursuing happiness. We can say to ourselves, well I just can't face these problems. In fact we can just concentrate on some little problems that we've got, well they're probably not little to us at the time what seems like big problems to us at the time, and therefore ignore God's offer. This Christmas defy public opinion, don't wear your pyjamas to church, but choose to accept God's presence, God's present of forgiveness through Jesus, and experience Jesus transforming certain joy and love in your heart this Christmas? In a second, I'm gonna pause and just give you a few seconds to think. Whether this is your first time in church or your 5,000th time in church, have you accepted that you need God to forgive your sin? 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, if you humble yourself and pray, and turn from your wicked ways, then God will hear and forgive your sin. Let's just take a few seconds to pause and reflect on if that's a choice that you want to make.